We have the ability to define success. It's all about their vision and then making sure you align their vision with their work ethic. I wanted to be the hero, man. I wanted to save kids. That was my job. That's what I was going to do. This is SB Live's The Prep Slab with TJ Cotterell, the podcast where you will hear authentic conversations about how things get done in high school athletics. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit scorebooklive.com slash Washington to access all the Preps Lab podcasts, as well as statewide high school sports news, features, photos, highlights, and more. One of the seemingly greatest secrets in youth sports is motivating young athletes to develop a great work ethic, to push themselves beyond what they believe they are capable of. So what are the essentials in motivating athletes to push themselves, stay disciplined, and seek everyday improvement? Rain FC defender Steph Cox, who helped the U.S. national team win a gold medal in the 2008 Olympics, addresses her experience motivating players and best practices on today's prep slap. She had taken over the girls' soccer coach at Gig Harbor High School in 2015 before leading that program to the state championship in 2018, the school's first soccer title. She has since returned to professional soccer with the Rain after a stellar career and also included a standout career at the University of Portland and multiple NWSL titles. Sports are just the way it goes in her household, being also married to South Kitsap Boys basketball coach Brian Cox. So, Steph, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Yeah, thanks, TJ, for having me. I'm excited to be talking with you about uh, just work ethic and hopefully can help some student-athletes out there. Well, so excited because of just the unique perspective you bring from so many different levels, from being a player and seeing um, other great athletes too around you and your own um, experiences trying to push yourself and then also being a coach and uh, trying to motivate other young athletes to uh, develop great work ethic. So I'm hoping to kind of start off with asking you, can you talk a little bit about your own work ethic and what motivated you when you were younger to push yourself to become the athlete and the coach that you are today? Yeah. So growing up, you know, I played um, a bunch of different sports and um, was just always really, really active by nature. And the soccer part, I just, I just loved. And so, you know, my individual training didn't feel like training. Um, it was just me like going to hit a soccer ball against the wall, against the gym at our high school, like over and over again. And, and I just, I loved that. Um, it didn't feel like, like work. Um, so I think that there's parts of, you know, of sports and, and things that you're passionate about that you get into that they don't feel like a drudge. Um, but I, I remember as part of that also, you know, I was with the youth national teams and, and they would send us workouts and I don't really ever remember doing those workouts, honestly. Um, I think I, my first kind of running, just pure running workout um, was uh, preseason, my freshman year in college. And uh, I remember we, uh, my mom drove me up in the middle of the night up to Portland and dropped me off at this field and we're running and we were going through this park and uh, we went for, you know, 15 minutes it felt like and it's like, oh, okay, like, you know, not stopping at all. And I'm like, okay, I was able to do that. Like, okay, I can do, I can do this. And then um, I came to the realization that that was our warm up, And I was like, oh no, like I'm in for it. And, you know, I think college was the real first experience where there was, it really felt, it felt like work. Um, but I think over time, you know, and now being a professional, like realizing that the, 
the, um, the parts that feel like work, you know, like lifting for an hour after we just had intense practice, you know, you have to know and believe that those moments that you're putting in, um, kind of the grind that those are going to pay off over the course of the season, that those things will, will help you finish strong to, you know, finish a game, help your team win, um, be the best teammate you can be. Uh, and, and so sometimes, sometimes, um, the hard work isn't necessarily fun, but I think it's really, really important to develop that and, um, and to feel proud of yourself at the end of the day. Yeah. So was, was playing then always just kind of easy for you because it was just, it was just your joy and that's where your fun came out of, which just was playing or was there times where you, you knew you were going to have to push yourself beyond, um, maybe what you thought you were capable of at the time? Yeah, you know, the soccer, um, I've always loved it. I've always loved, you know, the tactics of it. The technical component um, has always brought me joy. Um, you know, the, the physical component um, hasn't always been easy and definitely, you know, at the highest level, um, you know, with the national team, getting on the treadmill, pounding it out, um, you know, beep tests and, and all sorts of testing, you know, were never <laughs> my joy. Um, but I think of, as I've gotten older as a professional and, and even last year with COVID, um, you know, I had this first kind of major off season um, where I was training on my own, doing everything that I needed to do, working really hard. And then come the first week of our preseason and, and everything shuts down last year. And, um, you know, so then we go back home and we get our um, you know, our fitness schedule. And I remember after that first week of doing it again on my own, I, I was just almost, you know, in tears with my fitness coach, like, does it have to be this hard? Like, this is, this is really difficult. And he was like, yeah, you're going to go hard one day and then the next day you'll have off and then you'll go hard again. And, you know, this was kind of for the foreseeable future. You know, we didn't really have a, a timeline of when we would go back again. And I kind of had to come to grips that, okay, I can do this. I can do the hard work. And, um, you know, so, you know, I'd come back to, to play soccer from retiring because I enjoyed it because it was fun. I didn't come back to be a track star. Um, but that's kind of where I felt like I was at, um, with COVID and and probably a lot of, you know, our athletes aren't, you know, around their teams anymore. They've been having to train on their own and, and maybe, you know, they really enjoy the team environment. Um, so it was really um, kind of mental for me to, to process and to realize like, okay, actually this time away um, from, you know, doing household duties and chores and errands, this time to go and, and push myself and work hard um, is actually a gift. Um, I was able to stay fit and strong and healthy Um and then after you're done with your workout and you're exhausted and you're laying on your back, you feel really proud of, of what you've done, of what you've given, and um, you feel really accomplished for the day. And, and you know, not a lot of people have that consistently. Um, so even though it was really hard during COVID, and I think it was like, you know, two, three months um, before we kind of got together again, um, but it was just a real mental shift for me to realize, okay, no, um, part of me coming back and playing professionally isn't just because it's fun. It, um, I do need to do put in the hard work, and and I was grateful for that opportunity. Yeah, I think for me growing up, my my sister ran cross country and I played basketball. And when we ran in basketball, it was for punishment. Like we, when when we were running, that's a, that's not a good thing. We did not like to have to be running because we're being punished for it. My sister's out here running because she just loves it. That's what they do. And like, how can you? You're just punishing yourself the entire time. But for you, it sounds like you 
you did it because you all you had a, such a joy in competing. I think a lot of maybe coaches have a misconception that we want to use, we want to do like specific conditioning stuff and practices to develop work ethic, where maybe it sounds like the avenue you grew up in was that you were doing things, conditioning yourself in ways that were enjoyable. Did you incorporate some of that in your own coaching? Have you seen more of that be incorporated in your professional career as well? Just kind of the conditioning coming through things that you love doing, like playing soccer and not as a specific punishment per se? Yeah. You know, um, when I came in to Gig Harbor, you know, a lot of the girls were, you know, really fearful of fitness, um, whether through punishment or just overuse, like just a, a massive emphasis on it. And, you know, one of my goals was I didn't want them to almost be scarred for life to work out. You know, I want them to feel um, like it's not an intimidating thing and just to have a negative um, impression in their mind about about running. And obviously, like you said, those of us who play like team sports, you know, we we kind of are chasing a ball or something else, not just running for the pure joy of running. Um, But I think that, you know, especially at the pro level and, you know, even in high school, um, in college, um, there is time just to run. You know, there is time just to to run because you need to get a little bit of extra fitness in, Um, but to not make it a punishment thing so it becomes negative um, because then these athletes move on and get older and then what do they do to stay active and healthy later on. Do they want to go run? Well, no, because it was punishment growing up. And so I think we really have to be careful as coaches to make fitness um, a punishment component, a disciplinary component, and that it just needs to be a natural part of the course of the week and um, just something that the team knows that, okay, we need to do this. Um, Uh, because we want to be good. We want to win. We want to come, you know, we want to win a state championship. Uh, We had, um, for us at the high school, um, Mondays were kind of our our fitness days and they were tough. And we would do um, like a 5v5 tournament and there would be three teams and the one team who was off would be running while the other two teams were playing. And, and, and I think that if you do it in the right way, if you set the parameters in the right way, it really can be a bonding experience for players pushing each other, um, that adversity, kind of that difficulty, that hard part about running, um, can really bring the team together. And so just making it a part of the rhythm of the week rather than, um, yeah, a disciplinary part. Well, I'm kind of curious, I imagine it's tough for you having played at the highest level in your sport to then kind of go to a youth level and you're like, okay, why wouldn't they be pushing themselves as hard as they can? Like, um, that's all you knew, I'm sure. Um, and then you go to the high school level. How, how was that transition kind of dealing with, with youth players and knowing what got you to the highest level and trying to get some of that out of the athletes? How did you go about trying to motivate the athletes when you went to start coaching it? At Geek Harbor, and obviously you did it so well. Um, yeah, what were some of your strategies for trying to motivate kids, knowing what what it takes to get to the level that you were at? Yeah, uh, when I, I went to a coaching course up at UW, um, one of my first years of coaching, and there was a panel, and I forget who it was, some professor over at Wazoo, I feel like, but he said, make sure that um, the goals of your coaching, the goals that you have for your team, um, for your individuals match really the goals that the individuals and the team have for themselves. Um, and that was, that was really important to me. Like 
I had, uh, you know, at high school level, you know, I didn't coach, I haven't coached club. Um, at the high school level, they had a full range of players. Some players, that was the only team they were playing on. And then I had other players who wanted to go play D1 soccer. And so I, I wanted to match that same level, um, you know, to what they were doing. So how to, how to blend those all two together. Obviously they all, cause they were on the, you know, on the same team, we all had to be committed and doing their best. Um, but the level of excellence that I demanded out of my player, you know, who was just a rec player versus a D1 was very different. And, um, but we, but I met with all of them. Um, we met and we talked about, um, their goals for the season. And then we would meet halfway through the season and talk about how they were doing. And, and then we would, um, meet at the end of the season and talk about next season or the seniors, you know, would give me feedback and I'd get to say, you know, you did an amazing job. Or I remember one player, I, you know, I just thought that she kind of had underperformed it. And I remember another coach said, oh yeah, this player was wondering like, how, why were you kind of harsh on her in this meeting? And, and he wanted to know why. And, and I said, well, because I didn't want her going on through life and everyone just kind of giving her an excuse out, you know, I really wanted her to hear the truth. And even though it wasn't going to impact me and her future with the program, I cared about her future. And if she's not giving everything that she could, I wanted her, her to know that. And so there, there wasn't every single player wasn't a success story as far as me motivating them. You know, there were a couple difficult players. Um, but I really find that if a player can be um, really honest with themselves, really um, reflective, not, not hard on themselves, but honest. You know, you don't want a player beating themselves up, but if they can be really honest and hear real honest feedback and then move on from that, that then you can really have a, a real success story. Um, you know, I think about a player like Alyssa Gray, who's a freshman at Wazoo right now, and she was um, she didn't uh, make varsity right away as a freshman, but came through, you know, halfway through the season. You know, I really wanted her to kind of establish herself on on JD. And then, you know, by the end of that freshman year, she was starting for us on varsity. And then, you know, so that was great for her. And then at the end of her sophomore year, um, we talked about her leadership and about her dependability and, um, and how, you know, when it got tough, she really struggled when the games would get tough, she kind of would, would crumble um, you know, a, a tackle would, you know, result in an injury and, and it, and she was very extremely honest, um, and just really reflective and realizing, wow, my teammates can't depend on me. And so she really worked on that. And wow, what a transformation her junior year. Um, you know, when we won state her junior year, she had a hamstring injury, was like limping around on the field, but just giving, giving every single thing she could give. You know, so her teammates knew that she was reliable, that she was going to come through, that she wasn't going to sit it out when we were down 1-0 um, in our last two games. And so, you know, but that's that's hard sometimes as a coach to um, have those conversations with players and, and call them out and say, uh, it wasn't quite good enough. But I think that if they're open and they're receptive, that then you real you see real um, transformation, real growth. And um, that's, you know, the, the most rewarding part as a coach. 
Yeah, what a fantastic story. I'm just kind of curious, um, in those meetings, how much is that is like, is that coach-led in those discussions of, of your being really honest with them, what you've seen? How much of it is, is player-led? Like, it sounds like it was a lot of both in some of those conversations you had. Yeah, I my coaching style, I think I want to be really collaborative. You know, so I think if it's me just talking at them, um, then it they may not be um, it may not be received as well. You know, so the last um, season or two um, that I was with Gig Harbor, we had um, kind of these player handbooks, and so they had questions that they had to fill out about their their performances, about how their goals, um, how they were doing, you know, a mid-season reflection, goals at the beginning of the season, et cetera. So there was kind of a baseline for them to like initiate that conversation with me. And then obviously I would give them, you know, my feedback. Um, but the more, I think the goal of the coach is the more to, you know, to set the players up to talk and then help them kind of process through those things to really take accountability for their own actions you know, for their own attitude, their own perspective, rather than um, me just telling them. Um, but I think that the times, you know, that I got to share some of my experience as a player and relate back to them, you know, the, you know, it was a, a bonding experience between us as a player and a coach. Um, but yeah, I wanted it to be not player led, you know, I, I kind of let it but yeah, I wanted them to get out of it as much as they wanted to. Yeah, what what a what a great what a great reinforcer for kids to have someone who's been there and done that per se. I'm, I'm kind of curious if you kind of think back on your own uh, early in your playing career. Were there certain coaches that maybe motivated you best that had those mid season discussions with you and end of season discussions with you that maybe motivated you uh, to get to where you are maybe today? Are there are there people that you felt like were were most um, influential in your career that maybe pushed you? Yeah, I think. You know, early on, um, I would say almost unfortunately, but I was able to get by because of my my talent and my ability for so long um, that I, I remember one time um, my U19 youth team coach, he like had a sports psychologist like video me, like like just me during the training session. And I look back and I'm like, oh, I, I think now as a coach, I could see what he was trying to get out. But I think it just totally flew over my head. Like, what is what does he want? Like, I'm doing like I'm doing everything he's asking me to. But he probably knew that there was a little bit more in, inside of me. And um, but I think the I think the real motivational thing, you know, sometimes um, you don't maybe need to motivate those the players who are stars um, because they're just at that level. But I think that the motivation um, that was really impactful for me was when I experienced adversity. You know, so I got cut multiple times from the U.S. team and, and finally um, in 2012 uh, for the Olympic team. And at that point, um, I've been married to Brian for several years. So we decided, um, you know, to start a family and I got pregnant with my daughter and I met with um coach, um, former coach at UPS, Randy Hansen, who, um, I knew and really respected. And we talked about me coming back and playing. And I really, um, really had believed, even though I had gotten cut, I felt really confident about where I was, but I wanted to be really honest with the things that, um, really probably got, got me cut. And one of those things was, was the beep test. And anyway, so we, um, sat and, you know, I think it's really important to have, 
people in your life, mentor coaches, whether they're your specific coach or not, but just older people who've gone through things who can help you walk through difficult times. And, um, and he helped me realize that actually, you know, I remember I was telling him my story and I struggle with the beep test and, um, and I really had felt like that contributed to me not making the team, um, my performance on that test. And, and I remember he said, well, well, you're a hard worker. And it just shook me like, I am? You're right, I, I am. Um, because for so long, I had just kind of focused on my technical ability, you know, passing the ball into Abby Wongback's chest or crossing the ball that I could use my left and right foot, you know, um, and like my tactical ability, how I could read, you know, the other team's attack and intercept balls. But like this hardworking component, like I just felt like, but he was like, you do everything you're supposed to do. You do all the workouts. You turn in everything. You're conscientious. Like, you're a good teammate. You're a hard worker. You're not on the U.S. team for anything. <laughs> like, you can't get on the U.S. team if you're not a hard worker. And um, and really, that was very um, transformational for me to think about my identity, like, as a hard worker. And, and then when I stepped on that beep test, you know, I trained the beep test and I would tell myself, like, I'm a hard worker. I can do this rather than, oh, I'm tired. My legs hurt. This is terrible. I can't do this anymore. I have to stop. Like, no, I can push through pain. You know, so even though I had been doing it, it was a real belief um, in myself that I, that I could do it and push through those things. And, and I came back after my daughter was born. And she was born in April and in January I was the last defender running in the beep test. And, but that, you know, and I ended up getting cut at the end of that year, but I was just really proud that I was able to overcome some of those obstacles. And so I think that, you know, the motivational coach really comes into play when, um, when an athlete is really experiencing adversity um, not to, um, you know, and even parents, not for the, the people in their life to smooth out the bumps in the road, but to help them navigate the bumps in the road and hopefully, um, you know, help that pro- them process is quicker, you know, that the down part that they go through when they experience adversity, that they can come up faster. Because um, I look back and I'm like, wow, I really struggled with the beep test for four years, (laughs) you know, I wish I could have struggled for it for four months, you know, not four years. Um, so, but you know, timing's everything. And and I was ready and open and willing to hear that from someone to have that right person in my life at that right moment. Maybe, you know, four years prior, I wasn't ready. I wasn't humble enough. Um, so I think, you know, um, being ready, um, to motivate them when, when things are, are getting tough, um, is, is really, really important. I want to take a moment to tell you about something really exciting for high school sports fans across the country. SB Live Sports has launched a free iPhone and Android app featuring the latest high school sports news here in Washington and across the country. With the SB Live Sports app, it's now even easier to follow your favorite team and tailor your experience to your interests. With real-time scores and news alerts, as well as video highlights, podcasts, photo galleries, rankings, game coverage, and much more, the app delivers on the content you want in one convenient place. The SB Live Sports app features exclusive content from on-the-ground reporters across the country, and it's the number one source for Washington high school sports fans with coverage from 
reporters Todd Millis, myself, Andy Bueller, as well as SB Live's preeminent basketball mind and recruiting expert Dan Dickow. The SB Live Sports app is available at no charge in the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. Download it today. Well, I love that the power of positive self-talking there too, because you took your. It sounded like you took that and you said, "Yeah, I am a hard worker," and it made that the the times when it was the most difficult easy to push through because you can tell yourself that, "Hey, I'm capable of this. I'm a hard worker." Um, that's just so powerful to be able to have that positive self-talk too. When we talk about work ethic, it's easy for coaches to get a mindset of, "I have to get on this kid. I have to have that honest conversation, that disciplined conversation," but. You know, sandwiching that with positives, what what do you do well can go such a long way, it sounds like, in, in getting the most out of them so they can get that joy of playing. I know that if I work really hard, I'm going to have more joy playing because I'm going to be better for it. Yeah, no, I think um, as a young player, I don't think I had the humility that I, I needed to have. And now as a 35-year-old veteran, um, you know, I to- and as a parent and a coach, I really believe in, in positive self-talk, um, being your own um, self-coach. And, you know, before we had a scrimmage, uh, inter-squad scrimmage on Friday, and it was the end of the week, and, and I just wrote all of these positive affirmations, um, you know, for myself to really, you know, wrote them down in my soccer journal and my, my former coaching journal and now my player's journal, um, just about myself to, to really focus on all of these things, all these positives, rather than sometimes the excuses we can have as players like, oh, this field isn't ideal or, oh, we didn't have, you know, um, as long of a preseason as we would have liked or this team's different or, you know, this injury I'm feeling like focusing on on all of the positive things, um, you know, I love being out here. I love being able to play against another team. I'm strong. I'm fit. I'm healthy. I'm a hard worker. All of those things. Um, and and I, and I really think that you know, during the middle of a game when you're tired, that you you reflect on those things and those short af- positive affirmations can really can really make a difference. Wow. The when did you start to to utilize uh, the journal? in your soccer career and it sounds like you're using it as a coach as well. When, when did you start um, to bring that into what you're doing? Yeah, I, I used to journal um, kind of a lot uh, when I was with the national team, just kind of processing the, the difficult parts of it. And then as a coach, just having kind of a journal, whether it was about practices, was whether it was about the, you know, reflections on a game or preparations for a game. Um, but just really recently, you know, the, our pre we've had a really, a really long preseason, about 10 weeks, and it's been a grind. And I just felt like, okay, this is our last inter-squad scrimmage before our game on Friday. Like, I just need to, like, buck up. And, and that was just a really, um, you know, powerful way for me to write down these things and, and um, just motivate myself to perform. So besides yourself, of course, uh, which athlete that you've played with or you've coached had the greatest work ethic that you've ever been around? Carly Lloyd um, has an incredible work ethic, and I think it's um, evolved over time. And she's, um, you know, had some some ups and downs, too. But she was always just uh, working on her craft and and. Um, and figuring out the different nuances. Um, you know, and, and I've um, 
uh, been close with, with Megan Rapino. We grew up playing club soccer together and went to college together. And, you know, she just had this unbelievable skill and ability and, and it's been amazing. Um, you know, over, especially over the last several years, um, probably, you know, five to 10 years, um, she's, you know, just been performing on the U S team, but really the last five to see her take her work ethic and her craft to the next level, um, just all the little things, whether lifting or diet. And, uh, even now she's come to practice. I'm like, wow, she's so quick. Like I've never seen her so quick and she's not a spring chicken anymore, but I think it's, um, she's just dialed in, um, the things that she needs to do. And, you know, she's not messing around and, and she loves to be able to perform when she's needed. And I know, and now that, you know, she knows that takes hard work and she's putting in the work that she needs to. Well, I feel like it kind of ties into this because um, I'm going to drop a, a Carol Dweck reference in, in mindset, but I feel like there's oh, some people. I love mindset, yeah. I feel like if anybody's listening to this and haven't read mindset, you have to go read mindset first. But uh, I just feel like some people get into this, like the fixed mindset where <laughs> the work at, if they're, if they're talented, work ethic is beneath them, that they should just be able to get by on their talents. And I think we see a lot of examples of athletes who didn't become great. Obviously, like you said, being on the national team, you have to have a great work ethic. You can't just get by on the talent. But I think we see some who don't quite make it because um, either they have lots of talent, but people wish their work ethic was greater, or there's athletes who get really far just by little talent because they worked incredibly hard. Um, have you experienced that with any teammates in your lifetime, those who just had a great work ethic but weren't necessarily incredibly gifted athletically or those who were really gifted athletically but just were held back by a poor work ethic? Or is that a common misnomer to you? Yeah, I I love that you bring up the book Mindset and Carol Dweck because I read that when I was pregnant with Kaylee and, and I think Randy Hansen had recommended that to me and, and it actually was massive to me because I think I was – totally in this, um, you know, fixed mindset that, okay, I'm good with this. I'm good with this. And, and I thought that those things that I had like was really confident about those like helped me maintain my confidence, right? When I was always on the bubble or, you know, um, that I was able to kind of consistently perform because I knew what I was good at, but I didn't open myself up to this growth mindset that I could improve upon other things. I was scared to take a risk. I was scared to fail. Um, and so I just stuck to, you know, this, this fixed mindset. And after reading that book and, and having a year being pregnant and really looking at myself critically, I realized, oh no, I, I can grow. I can get better. And it's still challenging for me. Like today we're doing attacking stuff and we're dribbling and shooting and I'm, really neither of those things. I'm a passer. So it's like really difficult. And I have to believe like, okay, no, I can get better at this. And okay, no, I, I am good at this. And um, so I think, um, yeah, like I was that fixed mindset person. Like I am a passer. I am, you know, um, skillful and, you know, a thinker on the field. I can help solve problems. But to, to think broader and, um, yeah, not limit yourself. Um, and, and even to see, you know, the, the great thing now is, you know, as I mentioned, Carly and Megan, you know, they're older than me and that they probably had fixed mindsets at some point in their career about something, but they've, you know, they weren't always the hardest working, you know, Carly will tell you that in her early twenties, she really wasn't, 
uh, as a teenager, a hard worker. She just relied on her ability. And finally, when she started working, that's when she had breakthroughs. And, you know, even for Megan, I remember Megan, you know, she'd never have her heart rate monitor. You know, she wouldn't send in her information about her workouts. And now, like, no one has to tell her what she has to do now. Like, she knows what she needs to do and she's ready to go. So I think that you see, um, if you know, if you see the inside of it, you see this development um, where they've been able to, sometimes you almost have to overcome skill to um and then and you have do you really want it um you know how much do you want to um be at your best and how much do you want to be at that level um and it takes a, a lot of a lot of hard work to get there and then almost even harder work to stay there um because there's always younger players coming up ready to take your spot you know so for Carly to reach 300 caps is is absolutely incredible um, it just shows her her resiliency physically, um, but mentally to just um, not give in. Yeah, I think it goes back to like you said. How much do you want it? How 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 big a motivator is this uh, for you to 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 push yourself to be able to reach uh, levels you haven't reached yet? Um, and you know, we kind of hear coaches talk about this all the time. It's like one of the biggest challenges they face is motivating athletes on a consistent basis. Like you said, you dealt with a lot of varying athletes and trying to motivate them sometimes they work and sometimes those motivational techniques don't but to you like what are the greatest barriers and challenges that you have seen in both your time as a player at so many levels and when you're coaching in getting athletes to push themselves what are the biggest barriers and challenges you see and why they don't sometimes I just think that athletes may think that they know what hard work looks like they might think that they're working hard and even you know like I mentioned that coach having someone video me. Maybe that was his point. Like, are you really working hard? <laughs> um, you know, I think I want to do that another player. Okay, watch yourself. How much do you move? Are you really working hard? And um, so they don't really know what it looks like, you know, so coming from, you know, the national team and down to high school, like sometimes they, and there's a lot of hard workers, but other times it's like, okay, you're not really working hard in this 5v5 tournament. The intensity isn't high enough. Um, so trying to shine a light to see that they're open to those things. This is kind of what it looks like. Um, but I think, um, thinking a little bit bigger, um, kind of broader, you know, motivating an individual, um, certainly, you know, with, with individual meetings, like we talked about in goal setting, but, um, but kind of more collectively, um, and especially I think for kind of a, a female athlete and high school athletes, um, you know, the year that we won state, um, I had gone into my U.S. soccer licensing and we had to evaluate ourselves as coaches. And one of the areas that I really saw that I was lacking in was um, just as a as leadership in general, as a leader, as a kind of a motivational, inspirational leader. And um, so I kind of dug a little bit more into that and um, read a book called The Power of Why and How to Find Your Why and um, just about corporations and and um, really brought that, oh, there you go. <laughs> um, uh, who's the author? I forget the uh, author. Simon Sinek. Yep, yeah. Simon Sinek and the Golden Circle, right? And anyway, so so I went through that with my team and, and I was really anxious, like, okay, this is for like big corporations. How are these high school girls going to take it? 
Um, but it was really incredible. And, and I remember, you know, trying to find these words to define kind of our, our culture and our mission statement almost. And, and I remember, um, a freshman spoke up and, um, she used the word legacy and I was like, wow, yeah, like that's powerful. So, um, we were united to build a lasting legacy and it was just something for me as a coach that I could kind of go back to and just repeat over and over again when things got tough to, to pull them back to why we, why were you, why are you out here? What are you, what are you doing? Um, you care about what you're giving to each other. You care about what you're giving to this program. It's not just, you're not going to get a college scholarship from winning a state champ, high, you know, a soccer state championship. You get it from club and from, you know, other areas, but this is unique. This is about your community and this is about playing um, with older players, with younger players. Um, this is about our C team watching you and cheering you on. So all the different things, you know, we made sure for our state run that, you know, we had a bus for the C team players to come and watch us play, um, you know, and, and made sure we paid for their tickets, you know, um, because we wanted that, that legacy. And, um, so I think that that was, um, really transformational for us. I don't think that was coincidental that, you know, we won state that year. Um, we had, um, a player, um, our captain, our center mid who did everything for us. Um, she tore ACL in the quarterfinal game and, and players had to move around. Players had to step up. And I remember um, we had a meeting after she got injured and, and I was like, Hannah, are you okay with me like talking about you in this meeting because she doesn't like attention? She was like, yeah, whatever's best for the team. And, and I just talked about, let's talk about Hannah and the legacy that she's left. And let's talk about how everyone needs to step up to fill in that gap for her. And sure enough, players did. Players like played unbelievable. Players who I didn't know how to motivate all of a sudden were playing extremely well, right? Um, a player who I had struggled coaching, you know, had played so well the semi and final game, lights out. Um, and I think both games, the semis and the finals, we were down a goal but came back and, and found a way to win. Um, and so, so yeah, um, go find your why. I love it. So, so powerful. That's so great. Love the story too you had there. You know, I wanted to talk about this too because I saw this quote from Hall of Fame football coach uh, Vince Lombardi. He said, coaches who can outline plays on a blackboard are a dime a dozen. The ones who uh, win get inside their players and motivate. So I'm kind of curious, what, what to you are some of the biggest misconceptions you believe and how coaches ought to go about motivating athletes to buy in and to have a great work ethic? Yeah, I think you have to get to know your player first, um, get to know them, um, know them off the field, know their personality, know what, what gets them to tick. And um, I think, you know, you have to develop trust. And, and I think sometimes it takes it takes time. And I think um, for me, when I came in at Cake Harbor, I wanted to change all of these things and do all of these different stuff. And it, and it really took several years. And and I think that that's actually really humbling and knowing that you can't, you can't do everything. You can't change everything. You can't add in a weight program and, um, you know, a mentorship program and a new, you know, like, a, um, 
player handbook and everything all in the first year. You you have to kind of take it slowly and baby steps. And, and the same thing with players. Like I think that that, um, that trust and that bond um, kind of takes time and you have to trust kind of that process rather than, than forcing it. And some players, you know, maybe aren't open, you know, they're not ready for, um, for critical feedback or, um, you know, so you just kind of have to, you know, maybe think a little bit outside the box. Um, and especially I think sometimes with high school athletes, a lot of it is off, off the field, off the court and what, what they care about and, and all of the stressors and things that are going on in their life and just, and just listening to it. it um, sometimes it's a little bit simpler than you may think. Um, so really uh, just listening and, and being around the players, um, I think is, is really important as a coach. I love it. I, I'm kind of curious on this. What were some of the most important foundational elements to you when you first took over at Gig Harbor? And what advice do you have for other coaches um, taking over a program for the first time and how to make the most of that transition? I'm sure having this incredible professional experience had to have helped. You already had some credibility coming in. But to you, what were some of the most essential foundational elements in, in helping build that program when you first took over at Gig Harbor? Yeah, I think first kind of knowing who you are as a coach and knowing what you bring, you know, so I, I knew my background. I knew the, the kind of the professional levels of things that I wanted to bring in. Um, so I wanted to bring in film. I wanted to, you know, get our games filmed so I could go over things with players. And I don't think that that's really consistent at the high school level for soccer. Um, and I wanted to do that in a really, you know, good way to, to visually teach players. Um, I wanted to have individual meetings. Um, so, and I, you know, was able to establish those early and, and all of those extra, you know, things take extra time and, and intention. Um, but I also, you know, one of the things is I remember meeting with players and I got feedback about their experience prior, you know, so I wanted to hear what they had been through, um, the things that they liked, the things that they didn't like. And, um, you know, so I wanted it to be collaborative too. I didn't want to just come in and say, okay, I'm taking everything you know, away. This is what we're doing. And, um, I think over time, um, I really came to realize like, oh, the fall homecoming is really important. So don't schedule pitchers when they need to be getting dressed and whatever ready or fishbowl, like they have to go get their seats ready. So, you know, okay, I'll give them that Friday off. Like all these things that matter to them, like over time I realized like, oh, they should kind of matter to me because this is important for them. Um, so matching those kind of goals um, and things that, that they cared about. Um, I think I, I grew um, as a coach. Um, but over time, um, you know, having been there five years, I realized like, you know, take one thing every year, every season, and try and add that in or, or change that. Um, it's really hard to try and do do everything. Um, I think my last year, um, I really wanted my communication with my staff to be better. You know, so the um, the unity between uh, we had two C team coaches and we had a JV team as well. You know, so four, five of us on staff. Um, you know, meeting, trying to meet on Mondays, really prioritizing that communication. So investing, um, how are they doing? Checking in with them, giving the, my coaches honest feedback. You know, so I had first you know focused so much on the players, um, but then I needed to give 
these other coaches, their honest feedback. And sometimes that was hard. Like after tryouts, you know, you didn't set yourself up well for that. That wasn't, you know, well run. Um, but then by the end of the season, like, you know, okay, you really grew with that. You weren't too close with the players. Like you had a good, good, um, healthy boundaries and, and you've really grown in that area. So, um, you know, so those kind of shifting, um, to all different areas. Um, but I think again, um, one of the most, yeah, critical things that I did, um, kind of foundational, like you asked, was definitely that, that mission statement, kind of that player handbook, um, that we labeled out that talked about, it also had like different traditions that were kind of before me and what they meant. Um, you know, the seasons reflections throughout the games and different things, um, in it. And I think that that was, but that also, you know, I think that that would have been false if I would come in and had done that year one. I think it took time for me to develop, like I said, that trust, um, that authenticity that by, you know, that third, fourth year, uh, fourth year when I did it, um, that it was really authentic that I knew the players who were kind of helping lead the meeting. I, I knew what they were talking about, um, that we had done something, um, you know, they, they had been part of the program for three years so they could talk about what we were about. You know, if I come in, like they wouldn't know what I'm about, they wouldn't know. So, you know, the timing of that, um, wasn't coincidental, but I think getting to a place, um, as a program, as a coach where you can really articulate who you are as a coach, what you're about as a program, um, I think is really important. No, I love that. Like your first year, you're not trying to bring in a hundred different things that you're going to implement right off the bat. Instead, focusing on a couple of things that you could do really well those first couple of years and keep adding to that. And um, yeah, and incorporating the players in that too, because they have their previous experiences and what's worked well for them. I love that collaboration piece of it too. Um, the last one I wanted to talk about here, ask you about is what advice do you have for the athletes? particularly about this topic of work ethic and what it takes to excel in high school. And if they want to get beyond uh, this level, what advice would you have uh, to them about um, how to improve their own work ethic and what, what a great work ethic really looks like? Yeah. I, I think that, um, you know, they need to really, you know, be honest with themselves and ask themselves, you know, what they're doing in high school um, will only be magnified and multiplied, you know, in college um, the intensity, the amount of time and commitment, um, you know, being a college student athlete is, is really almost, it's a, it's a job. And so knowing, you know, okay, am I about this? Um, do I want, is this the kind of experience I want to have in college? And, and if so, if, if you really are passionate about it, then pursue it with all you have, you know, surround yourself with people who are going to challenge you, who are going to be honest with you, um, humble yourself to, to get that feedback, um, so that you're really ready when you get to college, um, because it's only going to be more difficult, more challenging. There's going to be um, better athletes, better players, um, and that you can, um, you know, be ready to rise to the level of that competition and, and really perform at your best rather than feeling daunted, um, like you're, uh, you know, a little fish in a big pond, but that you're, you're ready, that you've been envisioning this and you know what it's all about and you're, and you're ready to show why you're playing at that level. Rain FC defender, Steph Cox, we just so appreciate your time to give your perspectives on these topics. And, um, yeah, thank you so much again, um, for, um, for talking with us today. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, it was a joy, joy talking to you.